to our new edition of our Employment Law and HR Update. I'm Matt Huggett and I'm going to be talking to you today about domestic abuse and the recent call by the government on employers to provide support to victims of domestic abuse in the workplace. Now, the issue of domestic abuse and the level of support that employers can provide to victims has been receiving a a much significant increased degree of focus over the last few months and obviously quite rightly too and this has largely been as a result of specific initiatives and also the consequence of the impact that the coronavirus epidemic has had on the way that we work but also importantly on where we are working from. Uh, specifically what we what many people are faced with is with the lockdowns that we have been experiencing during the coronavirus pandemic and of course then the requirement for us to be working from home where we can do so that has meant that for many people uh, who are in domestic abuse situations that they have not had the normal uh, escape or the route out of home uh, and rather they are having to stay in the house and stay in that same environment with no escape. And so with that in mind, there has been a number of initiatives and a number of uh, new steps that the government in, uh, in particular has been taking, although that's not, uh, not limited wholly to the government because a number of organisations have been taking some initiatives recently. Now, first of all, um, the organisation Business in the Community, which is bitc.org.uk, and also Public Health England have uh, together produced a guide and toolkit for employers. And this was published in 2019, so obviously before the, the pandemic struck. Now, this guide is quite helpful because I mean, it, it sets out a number of uh, very useful uh, tips for employers to take. It also actually sets out some quite interesting and quite staggering and depressing statistics, uh, which of course also do provide the business case uh, for employers to take far more of an interest in domestic abuse and far more of an interest in supporting uh, their employees. Now, I don't want to say for a moment that there aren't a number of very good employers out there who don't support em employees, because obviously there are a number that do. But um, of course, what we're trying to do, or what these initiatives are trying to do, I should say, is it's trying to raise the profile of domestic abuse and what employers can do. And importantly, to enable employees to approach their employer, to tell their employer about it. Because often employers won't do anything about domestic abuse because they simply don't know because they haven't been told. But turning back to those statistics now, the statistics that I'm going to quote, first of all, they are from a, a number of various sources. They are published in this uh, Business in the Community and Public Health England guide. So for those of you who are particularly interested in finding out what the sources are, then please do turn to the guide and they're referenced within that. The cost of a domestic abuse to business is estimated to be £1.9 billion a year. And that's as a result of decreased productivity, time off work, Lost, lost wages and sick pay. One in four women and one in six men suffer from domestic abuse in their lifetime and 1.9 million adults have experienced domestic abuse in the past 12 months alone. And yet, only 5% of organisations have a specific policy or any specific guidelines 
on the on the issue of domestic abuse. And 86% of HR leads agree that employers have a duty of care to provide some support to their employees on the issue of domestic abuse. So clearly, HR is wanting to take the lead here and wanting to be proactive to provide the level of support that they think their employees could do with, quite frankly. And also, I mean, 54% of employers then went on to say also that it's caused employees worked at, when I say it, that domestic abuse any individual that's been suffering domestic abuse, their work has suffered as a result. So that's then when we do get that reduced productivity, uh, the reduced levels of performance, the reduced quality of work, and also increased um, increased absenteeism as well. So all in all, that does make some quite uh, depressing and difficult reading. Um, but the government has already been taking some steps to address domestic abuse. First of all, Uh, One of the things that they've done is introduced the Domestic Abuse Bill of 2019 to 2021. Now, this is a piece of legislation that's still going through Parliament. It will, for the first time, introduce a definition of domestic abuse and introduce the concept of of protection orders and criminal sanctions for breaches of such protection orders. And it also provides for the establishment of a domestic abuse commissioner to report on and provide advice and assistance on reducing the impact of domestic abuse and to provide the power of sanctions. Now, obviously, that's not just to do with uh, employment. I mean, far from it. This, This is just simply the wider issue of domestic abuse, which hasn't been specifically provided for in in, uh, in criminal or civil legislation previously. Um, the bill is currently, as as we speak, which is the uh, 26th of January of 2021, this bill is currently at the committee stage in the House of Lords uh, and therefore it is now not that far from receiving royal assent and becoming law. But of course, notwithstanding this um, impending introduction of some important legislation, Of course, as I I was indicating at the beginning, the environment within which we are working has changed. I mean, this bill was was started in 2019, so before the coronavirus epidemic hit. And the pandemic has has seen a significant increase in domestic abuse issues being reported. The charity Refuge have reported a 65% increase in demand to its helpline during the first lockdown in April through to June of 2020, and also a 700% increase in visits to its website during the same during the same period. No doubt helped with the launch alongside this legislation on 12th, on sorry, on the 10th of June 2020, um, the government announced a review of how employers and the government could better support abuse survivors within the workplace. And so the following questions were being posed in that review, uh, which, as I said, was published uh, June 2020. So the questions that they were posing were, what practical circumstances arise in relation to domestic abuse and work? What support can be offered in the workplace for victims of domestic abuse? What does current best practice look like and what is the potential to do more? So the government started this review and then shortly after this review, 
um, in September of this, sorry, of this year, of last year, September of 2020, the CIPD, the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development, and the Equality and Human Rights Commission, the EHRC, launched a guide for employers on supporting employees who are experiencing domestic abuse. Some of what the, that guide says may appear to be obvious in some respects, but I don't know about you, but I always find it quite helpful to have a, a guide that is published by an eminent and important organisation such as the CIPD and the Equality and Human Rights Commission to enable HR to raise the profile of a topic like this in their own workplace and with senior management and other stakeholders. Turning back to the specific recommendations that are set out in the, uh, the guide that's produced by uh, the CIPD and the EHRC, I mean, none of the, uh, the recommendations are necessarily um, earth-shatteringly complicated. It's all fairly obvious stuff that you'll have seen in other projects and initiatives of this type. But... You know, first of all, it recommends that employers should have a clear policy in place to support employees. Well, of course it should, because if you're going to be able to ensure that employees know that they can turn to you as the employer for help and support, then they need to know how to access that. And that is obviously the job of the policy, is to communicate that that route that they, they have. Um, and what they can expect from you as an employer to provide that um, that support. And then that su- framework of support should be made up of four steps. And these are the four steps, as I said, that's set out in this CIPD and EHRC uh, guidance. So it's first of all to recognise the problem. Secondly, to respond appropriately to the disclosure by the employee. Thirdly, to provide support. And then fourthly, to then refer to the appropriate help. So that's the Um, relevant agencies and support groups so it's not necessarily that you know the the employer isn't becoming the counsellor it's not stepping in to the uh, into the shoes of uh, social care or health care support or or other mental health support it's about signposting to the relevant agencies the report calls for a or should I say the guidance reports for calls for an empathetic non-judgmental approach um, which is very much then focusing on obviously the culture of the organization but also the the skills and the uh, knowledge and ability of those who are actually then going to have to deliver on this policy within the organization itself so as with any policy the policy is dependent upon the managers that then implement that policy and so you need to ensure that your managers are, are appropriately equipped to be able to do so. It also calls for flexibility on the part of employers, which I will turn to in a little bit about um, whether, whether in fact there should be a, a change in legislation in relation to flexible working in, in this respect or not. Like I said, I'll, I'll come to that in, um, in a few moments. But of course, the other thing that is happening at the moment is that with people working from home as a result of the the COVID-19 pandemic and the related restrictions that go alongside that with the various lockdowns, we also need to be considering how to maintain that support when we're having to provide that support remotely, um, when the escape routes for employees are being 
closed off. And when I say the escape routes, the escape route from their uh, domestic abuse situation. Now, what has happened since then is that the government has now published the report um, that was triggered by their review, which I spoke about um, earlier, which was uh, commenced in June of this year. Now, so this report is quite a, uh, a long and interesting read, um, and it was published uh, just over just over a week ago on the 14th of January. And also alongside this report, they've also published an open letter to employers calling on them to ensure that organisations are looking out for, they're spotting signs of domestic abuse and helping their staff find the right support. So the report makes a number of important observations about the importance of work and the importance of the workplace for victims of domestic abuse. And in particular, it notes the importance of that a job can offer a degree of independence and financial self-sufficiency, which is important to those who are suffering from abuse. A workplace may be one of the few places where victims feel safe to speak out, which provides them with safety and respite from their abuser. And for many victims, abuse continues whilst they're at work through harassment, you know, interruptions using mobile phones, emails, social media, and even sometimes their abuser attending the workplace. And in fact, TUC survey, Trade Unions Congress survey, going back to 2014, found that between 36 and 75% of domestic abuse victims who are employed are harassed by their abusive partners whilst they're at work. There are many ways in which a domestic abuse victim um, can have their career sabotaged. Um, Includes the hiding of money, bank cards, ruining work clothes, purposefully making a person late, causing injury or harm that leads to sickness absence, controlling their working hours, or their ability to participate in work-related activities such as away days and social events. And so... Domestic abuse can sometimes be the underlying reason for poor performance or for poor attendance, and it's something that employers need to be on the lookout for. And often these are only actually disclosing capability hearings, um, and sometimes not even them. The report then goes on to consider three important ways in which an employer can provide support. And that is through awareness and understanding, Uh, support in the workplace and also cultural change and flexible working. Now, let's take each of those in turn. So first of all, when we're looking at awareness and understanding, it's about spotting abuse. It's about knowing how to respond to a disclosure from a member of staff and knowing how to direct that um, employee to specialist domestic abuse and victims organisations. But of course, employers do face a few challenges in this regard, because what we've got to do is we've got to balance the need for privacy and also for and also questioning of the employee. So on the one hand, you need to be looking out for domestic abuse and asking appropriate questions. But on the other hand, you don't want to make assumptions or put pressure on individuals to make disclosures that they don't feel comfortable in making. And also we've got the issue of those employees that then the employer is going to be leaning on to provide this support. Um, Line managers and HR professionals are normally those that would have to deal with 
obviously potential um, performance and absence related issues, which are often the first sign of, or one of the major signs, I should say, not necessarily the first sign, but one of the major signs of domestic abuse. Line managers and HR professionals need to have the confidence to know what to do and what to say in relation to domestic abuse. And it's a tricky subject, it's a tricky area. And so it's essential that employers provide the relevant training and support, whether that be, well, I mean, it should be for these individuals who are empowered with putting in practice the employer's policy and procedure in relation to domestic abuse. But also maybe alongside that having domestic abuse champions within the workplace. Um, So it's about putting that structure in place to enable employees to feel free to come forward, to not be particularly surprised if they are asked some non-obtrusive and appropriate questions as part of the employer's duty of care to them if they have suspicions. But obviously then for the line managers and HR professionals who are asking those questions to know when to step back and to know when to respect privacy. So it's a difficult balance. The second point is about providing support within the workplace. So this is this is something that is still going to be worked on because what the government is doing is it's putting together a working group of employers, representatives of domestic abuse victims and also trade unions to look at ways in which uh, cultural change can be achieved in uh, organisations and to encourage more employers to have policies and procedures on domestic abuse. And in particular, this working group um, is going to be tasked with having a look at um, how to develop safe and inclusive workplace environments where victims can feel confident to disclose domestic abuse how to support victims in various situations, for example, where the domestic abuse impacts on safety at work, results in performance issues, and where the victim works with their abuser. And how best also for the government to support employers by developing guidance and model policies and providing relevant education and training or giving, I should say, giving access to relevant education The group is also going to look at what the characteristics of a supportive workplace look like. So this is going to be having, you know, again, it's the clear policy and procedure effectively communicated alongside the appropriate knowledge and skills-based training for those employees that I just referred to a moment. But it also looks at whether the content of, you know, to what extent should the content of the policy actually um, scope out particular issues such as signs of domestic abuse, the roles and responsibilities of people um, in respect of the policy, steps to ensure safety in the workplace, um, what employers can practically offer in terms of financial assistance, such as, you know, for example, paying salaries into a different bank account, um, what flexibility and paid leave they can offer, um, the Uh, access to counselling other health-related services, whether that's just simply signposting or, um, of course, there are many employers that have employee assistance programmes or similar schemes which would also be entirely relevant to be included within uh, the policy documents. Whether 
whether there should be reference to the time and space that an employer might need to give employees to make calls or other arrangements in 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 response to particular urgent situations that they're faced with also providing information to you know reception in reference to security uh, providing safe parking spaces going as far as accompanying uh, staff to buses or trains and ensuring that information about the employee's whereabouts is not um, easily accessible. So you can see that as soon as you then begin to delve below the surface, that actually there are, there are significant numbers of areas of risk that can be um, currently be exploited uh, by abusers. And, but there are straightforward and practical steps that an employer can take um, in order to protect those that work for them. And so this all then flows into the, uh, the cultural change of the organization in terms of the approach that it takes to a domestic abuse. And so in addressing the need for this cultural change in organizations, because as I said at the beginning, you know, only 5% of employers have got a policy or procedure that references domestic abuse. And so to achieve that, that cultural change, what it's saying is that organizations need to signpost to raise awareness, such as putting up posters at work, for example, on the back of toilet doors, um, using intranet pages or staff communications, drawing attention to local service providers or specialist apps, the provision of domestic abuse champions. So the, uh, the employer actually training staff to specific staff to raise visibility of the issue and spot the signs of abuse and refer the individuals to support both internally within the organization under their policy and procedure but also externally as i've also referred to earlier on again training of uh, line managers and hr staff is key in being able to implement this sort of policy in an in an effective way because um, having a policy is it's less than half the battle, I, in, in my view. The bigger battle is communicating it and getting people to uh, understand the issues within it and providing that awareness training uh, for, uh, for line managers and the practical skills training as well for line managers and HR in respect of questioning techniques um, in particular, but also the signs to be looking out for and just giving them the knowledge and the comfort that if X happens, then they do Y, um, rather than at the moment, many individuals who approach these this sort of topic are left floundering within an organisation and not necessarily knowing what to do for the best. And of course, as always with with new policies, with new procedures and and cultural change, the role of senior management and leadership is important in raising the awareness of the issue. So you would want and need to have senior management and leaders within the business um, playing a key role in supporting the approach that the business is making to domestic abuse and the support that is going to be provided. And that sort of leads in then to the next area, which is in respect of the law. And is there going to be a change in respect of the employment rights of individuals who uh, may be subject to domestic abuse? Well, not necessarily. I mean, as things stand at the moment, what this report 
published a couple of weeks ago by the government has highlighted one of the important support issues, support factors, I should say, that employers should be providing is flexibility. But then saying that employers should be required or should, if they are understanding and supporting an initiative of this type, should be providing flexibility. It's one thing encouraging employers to do it, but it's another thing to actually legislate for employers to do it and actually providing a right to employees to access that level of support. Now, what the government has said is that rather than introducing any specific legislation in respect of domestic abuse, uh, victims of domestic abuse in the workplace, what they have said is that they have reiterated their manifesto commitment to encourage flexible working and consult on making it the default unless employers have a good reason not to. But of course, flexible working isn't just about working patterns because what they're referring to there in terms of the um, encouraging flexible working and, and looking at their manifesto commitment to extend flexible working uh, to everyone and to the extent that it is the default unless the employer can argue otherwise is that this is about permanent changes to either uh, working hours or uh, the work location, or and or, I should say. That, that level of structure and permanence around a flexible working arrangement isn't necessarily what is needed in a domestic abuse situation. Uh, because in a domestic abuse situation, there, there is often an immediate flexibility required in response to a situation which uh, presents the individual employee with difficult and immediate challenges to balance work as a result of the consequences of abuse. For example, there, there may at times be, or there may be times when they need to engage intensively with a range of services such as the police, the courts, the banks, the schools, social services, benefits agencies, as well as doctors and counsellors as well as finding the time to perhaps move into a new home or, or even refuge accommodation. And so, as things stand at the moment, of course, there's no entitlement to time off for any of that. Um, and so employees are often using their, their annual leave entitlement and then perhaps even relying either on some discretionary special leave or um, other discretionary unpaid leave. And so they're very heavily reliant on the goodwill of an employer to um, respond in an ad hoc way and to respond flexibly in an ad hoc way to, to manage all of these demands on them and to manage the appointments during working hours at times which are often unpredictable and not under their control. And so this often requires temporary adjustments to working patterns, adjustments to the location of the work, um, which may be needed also to, to help with their safety. So it will be interesting to see whether the government decides it's going to take an additional step beyond this general manifesto commitment. I mean, there's no sign that they're going to, uh, as things stand at the moment, but it'll be interesting to see what the recommendations of the working party that the government is putting together is going to be. Because, of course, the other thing in all of this is that, of course, there is the a statutory right to time off uh, for dependents, uh, unpaid right to time off for dependents. But of course, yes, that may be triggered in some situations where the victim of domestic abuse is also making arrangements um, perhaps for their children as well. 
But if there are no children and there are no dependents involved, then the statutory right to time off for dependents is not going to is not going to be triggered. So it really is a case of um, for the employee then of using their holiday or or using discretionary leave that they can perhaps persuade their employer to provide them with, which if they're in a situation where their performance is a problem and their attendance is a problem, that can sometimes be an issue. So anyway, watch this space. Um, we don't expect any immediate changes to, to legislation other than obviously the, um, the ongoing general commitment that the government has underlined in terms of its uh, intention to make flexible working a default for everyone, but there is no timescale on that at the moment. And then the very final piece of news on this topic, because as I said, a lot has been happening, um, is that ACAS have also updated its guidance. They updated their guidance on the uh, same day that the government published their uh, their report and also their open letter to employers. So 14th of January, ACAS updated its guidance on working from home during the coronavirus pandemic. Um, that guidance now includes a section on domestic violence and abuse. The recommendations within that guidance are entirely consistent with those in the report which I've just been running through, so I won't repeat them the more here. So in terms of where do you go from here? Well, if you want to find some more information on this topic, I would recommend the Business in the Community and Public Health England Toolkit on Domestic Abuse, which can be found on their website at www.bitc.org.uk. I would also recommend both the government's report that has been published, which is available from uh, their website, also the CIPD and EHRC, the um, Equality and Human Rights Commission guidance that was published in September, and that information is available from either the CIPD or the EHRC website. And of course, go to the ACAS website for the latest update to their guidance there. And if, of course, you require any legal or HR advice or support in the implementation, drafting of policies, um, or the communication and training in respect of uh, domestic abuse in the workplace, then please do just get in touch with us. Uh, you can contact me directly at matthew.huggett at carbonlawpartners.com and you can also follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks very much for listening to this latest episode of our Employment and HR Update podcast. Um, there will be further episodes very shortly. Uh, in the meantime, take care and uh, look forward to speaking to you all soon. Bye.